Hello, welcome to another episode of Crowd Workcast with Andrew Barnett. Uh, this week's guest, Scott Detrick. Uh, Scott Detrick is a guy I met through the Sydney comedy scene quite a few years ago now. Uh, we used to see each other around the rooms quite a bit, and we always uh, we always got along. Um, but I didn't know Scott overly well until uh, in probably late 2000 or mid to late 2013. Uh, mutual friend of ours, uh, one Matty B, uh, who's a, another comedian, um, suggested uh, that the three of us might be able to do a show together uh, at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Um, and so uh, a little show called Three Blokes Telling Jokes was born and we took it to the Adelaide Fringe Festival uh, in 2014. So uh, I spent, uh, because of that, I spent a bit of time living with uh, Scott, Scotty and Maddie in um, Adelaide and uh, yeah, we, we got to know each other very well, got along famously and uh, yeah, our friendship has gone from strength to strength. Scotty's, Scotty's one of these really interesting guys you meet sometimes in comedy who's he's got a really uh, interesting background. He's had a sort of a varied career uh, and uh, very successful in many fields. So uh, you'll hear all about that in our conversation. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy this episode. Episode two with Scott Detrick. Starting off with the uh, premise of the podcast, what's your name, buddy? My name's Scott Detrick. Scott Detrick. Uh, I, I kind of knew that one already. And yeah. uh, all right, let's go into our crowd work. What do, you, what do you do, Scotty? What do I do? Well, that's a good question. Um, I do many things, but I guess what pays my mortgage? Is that what you want to know? Yeah, I suppose. Because <laughs> full, full disclosure to anyone listening, um, Scott's a comedian, uh, a good mate of mine. We've worked together many, many times. But uh, also has, uh, has an interesting uh, career. Um, so what is it that pays your mortgage? Obviously, uh, it could be with comedy. A man yeah. as successful as yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, um, the easiest way to explain what I do for a job, I'm a creative in the advertising industry. Um, and people go, okay, cool. What does that mean? And the yeah, easiest... I, love, I love this modern jobs. It's, yeah. No one does something specific anymore. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole job title, just putting my job title aside for a second, there's a whole job title that comes up a lot in kind of documentaries and stuff at the moment, which is Futurist. Futurist. Have you ever seen these people? Yeah. Which I find fascinating. You know, they're, they're just hypothesizers, if that's a word. Yeah, um, I feel like that's what I do most of the time. Yeah, right? Like, Aren't we all futurists? I didn't, I didn't like, know I could get paid for it. Yeah, that's no. You can have a title. You can have it on a business card if you really want to. Right. Um, yeah, no, so the easiest way to explain what I do is I, I come up with ideas for ads. Sweet. So Mad Men style stuff. Yeah, well, you know. That is how I picture your workplace, by the way. That's you know, how everyone pitches it. You and call then... some girl in from the typing pool, yeah. sexually harass her, <laughs> slap her on the ass and tell her to get back there. Yeah, not quite like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, a popular misconception at, the, at this point in time because of that TV show that... Uh, we're all drinking bourbon and smoking in our offices, and the reality is, everyone works on a big in a big open plan office in most agencies. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say a lot of the creatives on Mad Men weren't in open plan offices. No, well, everyone that was how it used to be. Everyone had an office or a creative team, a copywriter and art director would have an office together that they would share, and that'd sort of be their um, their little dojo to create things and go crazy. But yeah, it's uh, it's all open plan now, which is. Seems to be most industries are going that way. Just so you can check whether or not people are looking at Facebook all day, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, there's 
that's uh, that's become more of a problem than it probably was at uh, yeah. the, the era of Mad Men. So you're a creative, so you yeah. think of you basically think of ideas for ads. How does yeah. how do you get into that? Like that doesn't what what your background specifically is? I actually started my career as a graphic designer. So through yeah, being a graphic designer, then becoming an art director. Um, You've that, had a lot of what? What exactly is that jobs? Haven't you? A lot of these. Times. Yeah, yeah, they're really hard to explain. And then and then you get into the more confusing area of. Um, art directors and art directors. So an art director for film um, is very, and which I have done, is very different to being an art director in advertising, which was very different to being an art director in a design studio. So they're, it's, it's all the same title. What about but, an art gallery? Do they even have art directors? Uh, they have curators. Curators. Okay. So, yeah. See, this is the thing. Like, it's it's amazing with the titles. Like we we. You know, you've got all these titles now that are jobs that people have to explain. I did mm. crab work uh, the other day at a, at a gig and I had a guy said, what do you do? Mm. And uh, I was flummoxed because he just said, I'm a bricklayer. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, nowhere to go. Because <laughs> I can't make fun of what does that mean? Yeah, no, it's uh, I lay bricks. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Fair enough. It's there in the title. So you're, you're graphic designer. So how long have you been doing, uh, how long have you been in advertising? I've been in ads for like properly for about eight years now, eight nice. and a half. Um, but, you know, I didn't just kind of fall into it from unrelated activities. You know, it was, um, you know, spent a lot of time marketing other brands and when I was freelancing before I was in advertising I was yeah building up building up building brands building as they brands. say yeah nice. so I how- hate myself as I say that <laughs> how does it work though what like what's to take me through like just from from go to way like your like when a job comes in mm. um do you like I know on uh like um was it uh bewitched where he was in advertising yeah, he was right. Yeah. Okay. So I know then he was always pitching for the big account. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that client would want to come around to his place for dinner. For dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. And- which uh, would work massively for you because uh, give give Mandy's uh, website a plug. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, if anybody is interested in culinary, the culinary exploits of my fiance, go to Chewtown dot com. Yes, and um, uh, having uh, having tasted the culinary exploits of uh, of Scott's fiance, well worth it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's where you, if you were in that situation, the bewitched situation. Yeah, actually, I'd, I'd smash that, wouldn't I? I? I should really be working the system a bit more and having people around for dinner. I never thought of that. Yeah, much like, more, much more old school approach. Yeah, like maybe that's a, a yeah, every every kind of business technique. Not, not once again, I hate myself saying that, but you know, businessy sort of things like that, which I've never been that guy. Like, and especially being a creative, you, you your job isn't to be that guy. Your job is to wear cool sneakers and come up with ideas. So you you don't think about the business side of things. But I guess as you get older or you might consider starting your own business, you start thinking about it and you go, oh yeah, I probably should invite people around for dinner or turn up to those drinks or something like and work. Yeah, do the whole network Schmooze, you know. Like, and I've, I spend enough time doing that in comedy just to get gigs. Yeah, that is... <laughs> it, that's one of the, the most... Uh, the most uh, difficult things to first understand when you when you start in the open mic scene. It really is about being around and... Being present yeah. is the first thing you need to do to get into comedy, I found, was just be present. Like, you, you don't... Stage time came second. 
Yeah, exactly. People just knowing that you're around. The only way to get stage time is to be present. Yeah. So they can't give you stage time unless they know you're there. Yeah. Or that also just the last minute throwing you on, you know, you had an opportunity for that, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so in the, um, so do you pitch for jobs? So like, is it the thing where like um, a client will be out there saying, you know, we've, they've got something and you get a whole bunch of different agencies compete or? Yeah, yeah. So that definitely happens. Or? Yeah. So we'll, from time to time, pitch for new business and um, yeah, we'll be up against any number of other agencies and we'll all, all the agencies will get the same brief and then basically you go through and you, you show those people what you think, you know, their advertising should be for product X or, you know, whatever they, service they provide. Nice. Um, and yeah, give them the confidence that you're going to be the best people going forward to take care of that. So basically a, br- a brief will come in to your office and you, you go away. How many, like do you work on your own or do you work with people or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, in in a pitch situation, you know, because it is new business, you'd usually, you know, throw a few people at it, um, get a few people working on it. But so there might be a few creative teams, um, usually, uh, you know, led by a creative director or creative lead of some sort. And then, yeah, there's a, we've got a whole, you know, there's a whole bunch of accounts people as well that that manage the business side day to day. And um, yeah, so they... They would sort of corral everyone and work out when things need to be done by. And have you ever had a situation where you're just like, look, this, I, I, you, because just you, you got no connection to the product and you're just like, mm. I've, I've got nothing. I don't know how to sell this. I've been pretty lucky, you know, like you do get situations where, you know, it's more and more common for people to be vegetarian or vegan and then and they might have to, you know, market a product or come up with ideas for, for something that, you know, obviously has to do with animals in some way or something that they, they don't believe in, you know, that that's quite common. Um, so they, I guess they've got to work their way around that. I've been pretty lucky though. I, I, I've never really had to work on a product where I've just thought, nah, this is, it's morally bankrupt or anything like that. It's, and it, all the stuff that I've worked on has done what it says and all that sort of stuff. So, Oh, that's all right. But it's never something like you're just like, ah, oh, this is a boring Oh, look, there's know. more interesting and there's less interesting. I, my, <laughs> that, my, that, that, but that's just the nature of life, I think. My big fear, I suppose, would be like just getting a product that I didn't understand yeah, in any way, no, shape or form. Yeah, I, like, you, you know, from our, our history and the time we spent together and, and the other podcasts that we've done that I don't know a hell of a lot about sport, you know, like... <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, there are times where you have to work on a client that, that has, you know, sport involved. Yeah, they come and, to Scotty, we need a new uh, package for the NRL. And you're like, which one's that? Yeah, yeah. Is that the the, the, the tall people or the short people? Uh, no, no. I, 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 I know the basics of all that sort of stuff, but um, it, it always helps. And I've always been lucky to work with, have partners at work that were really into that stuff. So, they... It, it, you can you can still come up with the ideas and just knowing what the sport is and how it works, but what really helps you know move an idea along, especially in the sporting world, is you have ambassadors, right? You have the famous people that yeah you know that have a personality or and that that's what all the the best ad campaigns using those people will be generally is picking up on some interesting part of who that person is or something like that, and you just don't know that if you don't follow that sport, you know. Yeah, it, it, and look, I'm a I'm an unashamed uh, cricket tragic. Yeah, and I've seen a few ads. Um, I have every, every summer. 
You're 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 on my speed dial for that cricket brief I get <laughs> to work out who's who's the cool people to talk about. That's for sure. Well, that's that's one of the things too. Is like every summer there's always one ad where someone's playing cricket or um, you know, playing cricket on the beach or in a backyard or something, and. You can tell that whoever's filmed that has never played cricket doesn't. Yeah, and like we're really careful as an agency generally, uh, you know, to make sure that anything we do is authentic and there's enough people around. And and, and that'll come down to the decision of who's working on something too, you know. If there's a car related thing at at, at work, you know, it'll more often than not come my way because I know a lot about cars and I'm I'm a car car guy, you know what I mean? So that, yeah, that you played a creatives strengths you know like what they know about yeah so you um so before you've been in advertising about eight years before that mm. um graphic designer you've worked some interesting places yeah i um yeah i just going on the the car thing mm. were you at dais i was yep dais x machina yes yeah i was what there was, for a couple of years what was your job there i was a designer art director yeah um i basically i i I could probably rewind it just to explain it quickly as to how I ended up yeah, there. Yeah, go, go um, Because I, I started my career as a graphic designer, obviously, and I was you know, pretty fortunate at a young age to um, start working in a place called Mambo, a surfwear brand Mambo, which most people will remember. Um, and I was there for 10 years. And so through being there, I, I worked with Dead Jennings, um, who was the founder of Mambo. And um, yeah. After he sold Mambo, he started Deus Ex Machina. So I left Mambo on the Friday, and I think I was at Deus on the Monday. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Did um, you have a good weekend off? Yeah. Um, it, it was great, you know, it was, and, and it was as Deus was just starting, it was, it was very much um, a pretty small operation. And I was just working with um, Carby Tuckwell, who is the design genius behind Deus. Um, so all. That sort of illustration style and the way everything looks—that's all Carby. So, I um, it was cool. I got a chance to work alongside him, and um, yeah, I was, I was sort of there three days a week for a couple of years, helping them get it started and give, you know putting my input in what I what I knew about from making pictures into fashiony stuff. And we did the first couple of ranges of clothes, and yeah, it was good. It was good fun, and it was I you know I. Not particularly a motorbike guy, but it was good to be around. Oh, that's that was going to be my question because I know like Deus, obviously the the motorcycles, but um, and you and this is something I find there's guys that are into all sorts of like vehicles, anything with yeah. wheels and a motor, they're in. I think there's I, guys that are way into cars and there's guys that are way into bikes and sometimes not not so much into the other. Yeah, but I, like even though I'm not massively into motorbikes, if you're into motorsports and that world. Yeah. Anything driven by petrol, you kind of have this common understanding. And a car, I can talk to a real tragic bike guy about cars, and that person he'll understand. You know, he won't know the nuances that I do, and vice versa. You know, like but it's you, still pistons. And... It's still, you know, yeah, it's still horsepower. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Too, and especially on the motorsport, um, the motorsport front too. There's a lot. Of, I think there'd be a fair shared respect. Yeah, yeah. Person. Everyone, everyone understands. Have you ever been to the, the seen the the super bikes or anything like that? Yeah, like I used to actually be really big into going out and watching. I used to watch a lot more motorsport than I get the time to do now. Um, but yeah, I used to go out to Eastern Creek and stuff like that and watch the the five hundred cc super bikes. And yeah, it, I, I was really into it. 
I remember going out to um, see because oh, I'm not not huge motorsport fan. Like I, mm. but I do like going to like seeing that sort of stuff live. Yeah, is amazing. Me, yeah, like, you sort of understand it when you see it live because you can feel it, you know, feel it in your bones. Oh, I remember going out to Eastern Creek and seeing, um, watching the bikes there mm. and just seeing at the end of the straight, they jump in on the brake so hard that the, the back wheel just yeah. comes off the ground. Just Yeah, bit. yeah. And just like having, like seeing how quick they're going and then how quick they're braking. Yeah. That must be the most terrifying thing for the guy on the bike. It, it, <laughs> it does really, yeah, you're right. Like live, you get the real feel for Yeah. Have you ever been out to the drag races? I haven't been to the drag races. I've been to some V8 racing. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, go to the drags, but go on a night when they're running the top fuel dragsters, which are the long skinny ones yep. with the little wheels and the big wheels. Not, um, not a funny car, man? Oh, no, I like funny cars, but there is something else about a top fuel dragster, you know? Pound for pound, they, they've got more brake horsepower than an F-111. So, That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And to to do a quarter mile in under five seconds, I think those guys are like fighter pilots. They're only allowed to do two or three passes a day legally because oh, wow. it'll have you know too much effect on their physiology, like their brain you know gets squashed against the back of their skull or whatever. Whatever's happening, yeah. They're pulling too many Gs. That's... Yeah, that's outrageous. Mm. There, there's something about seeing those cars too where they've basically got bike tyres on the front yeah. and truck tyres on the back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they just, if you're there, especially at night because the, the, the flame that comes out thing lights everything up. But if you're right at the start line, anywhere near the start line, when they two of them light up side by side and go, it, it goes through you. The sound just goes through you. You can feel it inside you. It's amazing. Like oh. it. I remember when I was at high school, I had a um, an industrial arts teacher who he was he was an older bloke. Like I think he was retirement was retirement was very close in sight, and he sort of <laughs> he's an industrial arts teacher anyway, so they're not the most normal people. Yeah, and and he just was like he just couldn't get any real anything. He was just like real like uh, low key, low energy, couldn't get excited about anything. But yeah. his son rode. Um, the drag bikes. Oh wow, that's that's probably the most as full on as it gets. Yeah, well, if you asked, if you started talking to him about it, because he worked on the bikes with his son, all right. of a sudden, like it was like you know this guy that you wouldn't be surprised if they just come in and said, oh, he passed away in his sleep overnight. Everyone would just be like, oh, well, he had a good run. Yeah, know? yeah. Like he seemed that old. Yeah. Then, <laughs> then all of a sudden you talk to him about the bikes. It was like talking to a 26-year-old. Like right, yeah. That's what he got excited energy. about. Yeah, his eyes would light up. It was amazing. Yeah. No, it is, it is like that. And it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, not like music or anything like that, where you, if you talk to an old bloke, you know, or someone that's been around the scene for a long time, that's just as enjoyable as talking to someone that you know really, you know, that's about your age and's grown up with the same cars or whatever. It's just as much fun, actually more fun. You'll learn more talking to some old bloke about it, you know? It- well, that, and that, the thing too is I think, so I think motorsports get like, uh, sometimes they get written off as arts, oh, you know, bogans or whatever. Which it is. Which it is. <laughs> but like too, talking to him, like I learned more about the, like you just realising the amount of science that's going into it. Oh, yeah. Because like, they're talking about... The, he was talking about, oh, you you know, sort of have the tyre underinflated so it gets the grip to go. At the yeah, start. You yeah. don't want it too underinflated because then you... you and they're constant... Well, drag. And it is through... Uh, yeah, it's very much... It's very scientific because it is through a series of experiments that started the first day 
someone said, how fast can this car go between this line and this line? Yeah. That's when the experiment started and it's still going today. They're constantly tinkering and playing and within the scrutineering that they have to go through trying to push the boundaries of what that vehicle can do, you know? And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's no secret as to why the Ferraris and, you know, you know, all those sort of Mercedes, they've got motor racing um, programs, you know, apart from the fact it's a great way to, to brand brand and market yeah. their product, associate it themselves. always with, comes down to branding with you. Yeah. <laughs> but it associate themselves with something sexy, but yeah, that they're also, they are genuinely trying to work out more efficient ways to do things. And, and that trickles down, you know? Oh mate, I remember I, um, I met a bunch of years ago now, I was in Melbourne, um, just before the week before the, the Grand Prix. Oh yeah. And I was staying in a hotel near uh, Albert Park and sort of, um, so I'd, I'd jog around each, go for a run, you know, every now and then just go for a run around the park. And it was interesting jogging that week as they sort of turned it from just a park. Yeah. To the F1. But we had some guys, uh, a couple of the teams, the mechanics staying in, um, staying in a hotel. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the guys that I went to school with who went on to become mechanics, Hmm. Didn't really fit the stereotype of these guys. These were right. like probably the nerdiest sort of guys. Everyone was immaculate. immaculate yeah. dressed. They were very. They just struck you as very it's pretty serious. Guys. Yeah. But then you realize I could just imagine them all at the buffet at your hotel at breakfast. You know, sort of just neatly, quickly compiling yeah. their tray as they all moved along. Yeah. There was no big lines. And no. In and out. Nice <laughs> They'd all eaten breakfast within ten minutes and they were out. Yeah. You had you had one guy that had scooped the eggs. One guy that had. <laughs> But that, but that was the thing. Like they were, like you realize how. And then you watch, like when you watch it, you realize those um, pits yeah. are incredibly precise. They're super clean. Everything's they know exactly where everything is, and they yeah. have to be super organized and like that. They're meticulous. Yeah, people. Which is the flip side to um to I suppose the guys at Bathurst on the hill drinking a carton a day <laughs> is the guys working in the pits who are actually at heart more probably more mechanical nerds. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. A, a lot of those. Yeah, any of those kind of pursuits, um, the the people that are really good, because I like you know through having muscle cars and stuff like that, I've known a lot of people that are mechanics and stuff that have obviously helped me with my cars and things like that. And yeah, more often than not, they're not you know they're not some dude in a in a wife beater with a cigarette hanging out their mouth. They're some quite technical, you know, oh, yeah, they're good knowledgeable good nerdy person that knows exactly how to put something together you know? it's, it's funny it's the it's the practical application of all the physics that you yeah. learn in school that you went when's this ever going to be useful yeah well, those guys you know they know a bit they actually used it not like yeah. us like <laughs> yeah exactly they know, they're not, well they're not creatives so they're not creatives that's um that's interesting okay i want to go back now so to mambo yeah um because that is uh for a guy like my age mm. um mambo was huge when i was growing up like that was if you had well, your mambo clothes all that sort of stuff it was it was just a, a mammoth brand here sort of iconic yeah part of the culture had so what was what was your job there what did, what did you do well i i, I was it was actually I, I did a bachelor of design um at uni and it was actually while i was still in my last year at university um uh, i i'd i'd sort of Worked in a couple of places because um, I wasn't at university. I was only at uni in my last year, I think one day a week or something like that. So I was working at a few project-based kind of places doing graphic design. And then, 
Yeah, I, I was really fortunate while I was still there to to get a gig um, four days a week at Mambo and um, just sort of started out almost like an intern. And yeah. then, yeah, just I worked really, really hard um, to make sure that at the end of that year, I was still there. So were you designing stuff that would go on the clothes? and Yeah, I mean, in the early stages, you know, I wasn't necessarily trusted to do that because yeah. I was you know, new to the Obviously. game. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, was more working with the artists and working with, you know, what they had done and turning it into stuff, you know, it might become a window display. It might need to go on a t-shirt. It might become some yardage. Um, it might be a little application for something that goes onto a bag or a watch or a towel or whatever it was. It was basically taking all that stuff and applying it to products, you know, and, and working out how that was going to look best. So how many artists were there? Because obviously it's the the, the whole uh, Mambo itself comes from Reg Mambasa. No, it's a popular misconception, but, okay. but certainly one that was never discouraged by Dare. You know, if, if people thought that, that was fine because Reg was a, you know, a great artist and, you know, he was in mental, an active member of Mental as Anything at the time. So great band. everybody, everybody knew who Reg was. So yeah, it wasn't, we know there was never a hell of a lot of, um, calculated PR, um, by Mambo. We just sort of generated our own as we went by what we did. Um, but yeah, that was, that, that's one that I get a lot, you know, we go, oh yeah, Mombasa, Mambo, that makes sense. You know, yep. people just drew that line between and. No one ever really corrected them, you know. Most of the stuff that you ever read about Mambo was a false history anyway that was made up. Oh, wow. You know, it was just... It was better to be satirical or funny or interesting than to actually talk about what the real version of it was, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. So, the the dog farting. Yes. The iconic... The, um, one of the iconic designs. But yeah, yeah. the one that sticks in a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Who was that then? That was Richard Allen. So Richard Allen was, you know, probably the original Mambo artist. You know, even before Reg, um, he he was doing a lot of the original stuff, and he really set the tone for the brand in a lot of ways. Like he, all the people that came afterwards, you know, obviously Reg had his own thing going on, but there's a lot of other artists that were involved, and and uh, a very good friend of mine, Wayne Golding, who kind of was the voice of Mambo after a certain point. He wrote all the stuff that was in ads or on swing tags or books or anything that we did. Anything funny you read about Mambo generally was written by him. Um, okay. But he, he, even he, I think, would attribute that original kind of tone of voice back to Richard. And Richard's just a yeah a really clever guy. You know, he's gone on to work with Mark Newson and he had his own label for a while called Mooks. Um, I've, uh, you remember Mooks? Yes, I think... A couple of my, I believe I almost dressed my son in a Mook shirt today. Well, there you go. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's he's a very clever guy. He went on to do a lot of a lot of different things. Um, but yeah. So and and he did a lot of the initial stuff. You know, the Angry Man, yep. the guy with the bone through his nose, and all those really iconic. You know, it's funny going back through it all now, which I have recently for you know a few projects we've been doing. Um, how much, you know how much of his stuff is considered classic Mambo and it was probably done realistically. I, you know, I, I, I could be getting it wrong, but probably in the first two or three years of the company, you know, oh, wow. you know. Can, yeah. Cause it does have a very, um, it, it did have its own, very much its own style. Like it was its own tone. You could look 
um, and probably in terms of uh, the way you think now in terms of branding. Yeah. Like it's almost perfect in that you could walk through and see a design and go, oh, that's a Mambo without necessar- necessarily seeing that written. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that, that would either come down to, I guess, yeah, the sort of the style. It was the style of the artwork, but also the language that was used and the sort of the puns and things like that. Yeah. You know, it was always... and It had a sense of humour. It had a sense it. of humour. And, you know, I was thinking, I'm, I was driving here today going, what's Andrew going to ask me? What's he going to want to talk about? And I was trying to draw a few lines between the things that I've done in my life. And interestingly, you know, I was just thinking about it and I thought that was pretty good, a pretty solid training in humor that definitely, I don't think if I'd have been there, I probably would have ended up doing stand-up comedy in a lot of ways. I And it's funny because I, I haven't really thought about it up until now, but there is a, there's the, the cheekiness to the humor of Mambo. Mm. You do have a bit of that cheekiness on stage. Like in oh, really? Of, yeah, there's okay. A, there's a sensibility. I'm not saying like you're, you're up there trying to... No, you know, no, it's interesting you say that though. But I've never really thought but, about yeah, it. Yeah, like there's, there's a certain sensibility that I can see I can see in your joke writing the jokes you tell on stage that yeah. sort of I can see a line between that and the humour of that place of yeah that, of that sort of uh, brand because yeah, it okay. it's, it's sort of a, a touch larrikin but um, mm. but also quite um, it's almost like a lowbrow highbrow humour like absolutely a very smart yeah. lowbrow humour sometimes absolutely that, like, yeah 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 there were some great manifestos that that Wayne Golding wrote that were you know that had things to that effect, you know, and it, and it was, uh, I, I, if I, if I, if I had them, I'd, I'd love to read parts of them. It sort of illustrated it really well. So that uh, good story, Scott. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there, there, there was always, there was always a lot of thinking going on behind the puerile nature of what was happening on the outside, you know? And, yeah. and it could often be mistaken for just being fart jokes or dick jokes, but there was always layers, layers upon layers, and a lot of belief. You know, there was a lot of things, or you know, causes that we supported, and a lot of uh, political. You know, it was a it was a brand that came out and was political. You know, and actually yeah. had a political opinion. I mean, find any brand in the world that does that now, or or you know, before especially like a fashion brand. Like yeah, the, the the fashion, and you know, like especially of the time, but it, like even now, like you, you'd be hard pressed to. To uh, to nail down the politics of any other fashion brand, realistically. Well, most like, I don't brand, know what Stussy stood for. Yeah, what my, were they about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, most uh, most brands wouldn't dare to be political or you know do anything controversial or, or you know denounce religion or anything like that. Just because if you want to be you know big, there's all these stakeholders that are involved, you know, big retailers and things like that. And they don't want to be associated with those opinions. And well, and this is the thing. It's the, I suppose it's, a, I'm hoping it's a change in sensibility that people are going with. We're seeing a lot more with the, um, now the, the, in entertainment is it used to be the, the whole idea was just completely broad appeal. Mm. Get the biggest audience you can. Um, whereas now you're sort of seeing more in entertainment, like you'd see, especially with podcasts and that sort of stuff. People, instead of going for the broadest market they can, they go for a a section of the market, a niche, a niche, but with the most committed, um, the most committed fans or most committed. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's one thing that Dare Jennings definitely taught me was that uh, polarization is the key to anything, you know, yeah. because if. 50% of the people hate you, 
generally speaking, the other fifty percent will love you for that. You know, like they'll they'll they will want they'll be if you find the right mix, you'll find all these people that don't want to be those people or you know want to speak out against those people. You know? Especially too with it, like you mentioned the religious stuff. I remember the um was it the the iconic Jesus. Jesus at the football. Yes, Aussie Jesus at the football. Yeah, Aussie Jesus at the football. That sort of stuff. That now seems um, doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, but at the time, at the time, it was massive, man. You no know, no one was like because especially now, like you know, now it's it's very uh, you, especially for us in comedy circles. Yeah, very common for people to get up and bag on religion and that sort of stuff. Yeah, but that's you forget how recent a phenomenon that is. That that's it was, true. Yeah, were you very couldn't comfortable doing that. Yeah. Poking holes in uh, Christianity back then was was a big deal, and there was enough people around too. We had a situation where um, we had an Aussie Jesus banner up out the front of our, the flagship store in Paddington, yep. and um, that was out on the outside of the building. And uh, uh, these guys came in and said, "If you don't take that down by next week, we're going to firebomb the shop." So oh, in true Christians. <laughs> Uh, I thought you know I don't know where the love thy neighbor is in that, but um... I, I believe the parable. The believe the parable or the uh, the the lesson was turn the other cheek mm. unless there's a satirical uh, poster or <laughs> yeah. picture of me. Then firebomb them. Firebomb. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. A lot of people only read to mm. the turn the other cheek. Yeah, but light you... light it with the burning bush. Yeah, <laughs> but firebomb. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you if you're really into your Bible, you read yeah. you read to the end, and there's there's all that sort of stuff about um, yeah making sure you. Uh, Anyone that doesn't agree with you uh, should be uh, should be firebombed. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we've we've managed to have our own poke at religion. It seems. Yeah, just or idiots <laughs> that use religion <laughs> to be idiots. Um, yeah, I got no issue with religion. It's more the. Uh, Nor do I. Uh, you know, way... whatever whatever gets you through the day. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, so Mambo is like, well, you you mentioned you've been working on stuff for an upcoming project. Can you talk about that project at all? Like, yeah, like- yeah, no, I can. Yeah. We've, we've, we've made a, a documentary, um, about the, the story of Mambo, like the history of Mambo, basically, uh, just dispel that myth that it was Reg. No, not at all. And I, and actually thinking about it, we, it, we don't even go into where the name came from or any of those obvious oh, things, you know? So I think you come out at the end of the documentary with probably worse, perception of what it was all about than before you started which was kind of our intention in some ways but yeah i mean look i you know i haven't worked there for a long time but i've got a a massive still had you know a massive love affair with the brand and um it was a big part of my life and it was you know where i grew up so um there was a 30 years of memo exhibition down in melbourne that traveled to sydney and newcastle last year and this year yep um and that was just kind of coincidence. I'd been trying to make the documentary for seven years, so oh, wow. it's, it's taken it's taken a while to get up, but it's uh, coming out later in the year now, which is which is awesome. But it's finished, so it's, yeah, it's great. Excellent. So um, obviously, this is this is going to be out well before that. Yeah. Um, any idea of dates or where people could see it yet, or should we? You... It's it. We don't we don't have an on air date yet. So, okay. but but it, it'll be at the, towards the end of the year. So I think that's you promising to come back for another. Uh, oh sure. Another episode to absolutely. We can do. Yeah, a we got some stuff to promote. <laughs> yeah. That'll be nice to have a guest on with something to promote. As oh this man, is a I'm real just show. I'm just can't wait till it till it airs. You know, like it's been such a long time coming and and it's finished. So it's just kind of yeah. champing at the bit now. Yeah, you put. I remember you talking to you. you had, 
there was a lot of work that went into it, so it must, yeah. be, must be nice to... Uh... Oh, I'm sick of talking about it too. You know, I've been talking about it for oh, a good. long I'll time. Oh, good, I'll have you come back. I'll have you come back to talk about it then. That'll no, no, great. but I'm sick of talking about the fact that it's coming, you know? Yeah. And people know that I've been working on it, so they go, oh, how's it going? And I'm like, oh, well, it's, it's going, you know? Like, but yeah, no, it's great. It's great. So that that's your work life. Mm. Hobbies. Now, that's mm. not, actually, that's not, strictly speaking, the only work life. You're obviously, you're a stand-up comedian. Mm. That wasn't your first foray into performance? No, no. I played in bands for probably about 10 years and then did sort of solo acoustic-y stuff pretty unsuccessfully for about four or five years after that. But <laughs> so, Okay, so bands, like, are we talking originals, covers? What are we talking no, about? No, nothing but it, mate. I was a child, of, you know, it, it was the 90s. You, if, you, if you're in a cover band, you were, yeah, oh dude, man, dude, cool. you've sold out. You're probably making lots of money, but you've sold out. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I sort of, it, it sort of started at high school. I, I started a band in high school and then coming out of, you know, through uni and everything like that, I always had bands and it was a big part of my life. And it's probably something that, you know, I'd stopped doing and I would, I would say, fairly evenly that stand-up comedy's filled that hole. But yeah, I used to, it used to be the same thing. You know, I'd be out two or three nights a week watching bands or playing in bands and that was kind of my life. And, and I had stuff, you know, uh, recording set up at home and I used to sort of record stuff and um, yeah, just collaborate with people and just do stuff and, and nothing of any particular notoriety or anything like that. But, you know, I managed to... Support a few interesting people along the way, which was quite All fun. Right, I know some names. Because I'm, I'm just, I was, my next question was going to be what sort of style of music, but now I'm going to try and guess from the people you supported. Yeah, right. Oh, well, the more interesting people that, that I supported was actually when I was doing solo acoustic stuff. So, um, yeah, I supported, I su- actually, I was talking about this last night to Manny. I, I supported Ian Moss once. Oh, wow. Mossy. Yeah, yeah. That nice. was, and, and the best thing about supporting Ian Moss. Was you, I, did you I, meet Tucker's daughter? Well, I did it on a Saturday night too. Oh, that's so awesome. it was it was pretty pretty cool. And I thought it was a I thought it was a bit of a stitch up or something because the guy that usually booked booked me for that gig, like I just regularly got myself you know what it's like with comedy, you, yep. once you've been around enough people just start offering you gigs and yeah. the, this this venue it was at, at the Brass Monkey at Cronulla. And um That's a great little venue. It's awesome. It's a, it's such a it, and it's still can, to this day it remains a great music venue. Um, but yeah, and so I'd just get the call every now and then and just go, oh, we've got a gig for you, you know, this night. And, and, and I, and I had the, they gave me the gig on the Saturday night and Ian Moss was playing, but like in comedy, there'd be someone who'd open up, there'd be a second support than the main attraction, you know? And I got there on the night and, um, someone else was there, um, that I knew and, and I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, so you're you're on second, obviously. And they're like, no, 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 you are. And I'm like, so I'm on just before Mossy. And I'm like, whoa, this is yeah. So I was. That's probably the most nervous I've ever been because if if you're on first, the headliner, like in comedy, the headliner probably doesn't see you. Yeah, they they're, well, they're, if they are there, they're not paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, but. Mossy was definitely going to see me play. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. I do, like, what I do is just so crap compared to what yeah. this guy has achieved. Like, I'm just, I just felt like a complete fool. You're going to take, obviously, the song you'd written, Mossy's a Prick, out of the lineup. Yeah, so. um, that, that wouldn't have gone down too well. But, you know, I, um, 
No, but, and then and, and I I came off stage and we, there was a very small room behind where the bar was where we kept our guitar cases and all our stuff. And I walked in there and the, Mossy was just sitting there on a chair and he was and he he actually said, "Mate, I really I really enjoyed that last song." Oh, that's awesome! And I was just like, "Oh, thank you very much, sir." <laughs> and he said, and he goes, "Can I borrow your guitar tuner? Um, you can have my guitar tuner." Like I was just should have said, to "I didn't." Need, I I just made a complete dick of myself. Should but. have said, "Um, real music, I do it by ear." Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you need a guitar tuner. I can probably look around for. No, but the worst thing was the guitar tuner I had was the same guitar tuner I'd had since I was fourteen. So it was like I think it was yeah, the back of it was held together with a band aid or something. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. Use that. Better than him. He didn't even have one. Yeah, well, that's true. That's Apparently, true. Um, he. Uh, I used to live not far from where he lived in Sydney. I won't name where, but um, friends friends of ours, uh, one of the guys I live with, friends of ours, uh, this girl's uh, had a share house in, in his street. And every year that street would have a street party. And mm. they, they, tell, they were telling me that, um, yeah, Mossy would get out and uh, by the end of it, Mossy would be out playing guitar in the street with the... Yeah, wow. With the people. They, they said it was amazing. He's that kind of... Yeah, he's that kind of dude. Like, he, he's totally not pretentious or anything like that. And that that um, that run of shows, I was on the Saturday night and he'd done Friday and Thursday before that. Like, so he'd done a run of three shows. And I was... I'm still am good mates with the sound guy there and he um i was in the booth watching mossy that night after i'd played and um the sound guy could usually just sit there especially if someone had played three nights in a row he'd know when a song was going to get loud or if this one was going to be softer and he'd just sit there writing the levels on the desk and we'd we're sitting there chatting and listening and and then every now and then he'd go oh fuck and he'd he'd grab he'd grab a, a slider and pull it down or something like that and he said you know what man he hasn't played the same song, yeah, this any song the same way any night. Oh, he wow. Just, he said every night, it was just, it was like he was just, he was either challenging himself or trying to keep himself entertained. But in, you know, if you'd have gone and seen him three nights in a row, you would have seen the same songs, but completely different versions of those songs. So he's like, last night he did this really rocky. Tonight, you know, he was doing it like a ballad, you know, and... Amazing, like to to have that kind of range. That is cool. That's that's something too that it have to keep him entertained as a absolutely as a yeah. It is a performance thing, and I, I was talking I was talking to Mandy about this. Yeah, you know, she said in because she was an opera singer, and she said every time an opera singer performs something, they have to adjust it just a little bit, not to sing it completely differently, but they have to bring something to it every time because otherwise they just fall into a rut of it being the same. I can, I, yeah, I can see how that had happened because I just know, like, bringing it back to comedy. Like, yeah. If you've got a bit that you've been doing quite a bit yeah. after a while, sometimes you just find that you, if you're not in the moment with that bit, yeah, if you're just sudden, going through just the motions, stops working. Yeah. No, and I, I, it was interesting. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about it as we were talking about it last night, and I was just like, yeah, comedy's like that too. Like, if yeah, if you just keep doing the same bit the same way. It, and it's not about coming on stage and performing it completely differently every night. It's about a small adjustment, doing something for that version of it that's just a little bit different that has 
gives you that mindset that you're doing something for the first time. Yeah, you know? sometimes I feel like it's it's a, it's more about matching the tone of the audience. Like there's yeah. a, in any given room you walk out, and it, I dare say it's the same with opera or any sort of music. Or it's whatever. just performance generally. Yeah, the older it's, I get, the more I realize you could. There's a lot of consistent things between performance or yeah. writing or you know music or whatever it is and you can lay it across every version of that you know yeah it's it's almost like yeah if you learn if you were smart enough to learn all the rules to performance work out those common things yeah um as a young person yeah by the time you get to a to a middle age you'd just be able to apply it to so many things yeah yeah which um yeah I, and, and that's what i i feel like sometimes too if i'm getting bored with the joke or i'm getting mm. I'm not in it. Then I'll uh, then I'll start just try and chat to the audience a bit, just to try and pull myself back into the moment. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Or just use a few. Yeah, use. A few, I've tried to freshen some bits up that I that still work that I I still love, but did ultimately get bored telling. And, yeah. And oh, and you can, I the just, audience I, can tell. Too. Yeah, and they can. Yeah, and you can you can feel it as it's as it's happening, and you. So I, I've been conscious of that, and some of those bits I've you know just changed some words around or. You know, tried to add a new bit to it so it feels new again. You know, yeah. it's like. <laughs> so you you played originals in the nineties. Yeah. What was your style? What, uh, what are you like? Are you grunge? What? Yeah, it was. Nineties did we start? Oh well, I sort of, you know, early nineties. So like around, yeah, the the grunge, weird grunge, halcyon days. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of that going on, but yeah, we, were, you know, there was a lot of sort of. You know, poppy punky kind of bands. You know, Green Day and stuff like that was popular at the time, so that was influencing a lot of what was going on. And I'd always been into, even when I was at high school, I'd always really been quite into punk music because yep. uh, I'd had mates who had older brothers that were really into Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols and stuff like that. And for a private schoolboy, it seemed also naughty, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and so anti-establishment. There was like, you know. I look back now and it's like, how pathetic was that some private school kid being really into punk music? You know, we'd, I'd been through no adversity at all. Well, that's how I, I was uh, talking to um, Seren Jayamana at uh, at a gig the other night and he, he does, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, he talk, he, his show is called Wu-Tang Clan Name Generator. Yeah, yeah. And so talking about Wu-Tang, and he said to this audience, he said, oh, who, who's into Wu-Tang Clan? And there's a bunch of the the younger guys they're yeah 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 like you know not 20 19 20 21 sort of yeah. at that age range of guys but they're all so so very um you know very much caucasian suburban guys yeah like that are you know i'm not knowing how much the about their background they're just in the audience but that's how they struck me and i was talking to him about i think there's something about um like you know for for white suburban kids getting into those sort of things, it's always safer to get into the generation before of yeah, punk, like yeah. The entry point like with punk, like the entry point of the Sex Pistols or um that the the sort of a little bit before the time because it's played out yeah like it doesn't, it's not happening now so it's not quite as dangerous and yeah I, I think you're right yeah same thing with it like yeah you see those kids getting into like you know that sort of hardcore hip hop and rap. Like they get into you start off with NWA and you start off with um you start off with uh, the Wu Tang Clan or whatever yeah because now you know they're you know well it's beige now isn't it I mean and they've turned yeah. out to be like whatever they're singing about the destructive stuff you know that they've turned out to have 
careers in entertainment. Of course, you know what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. The story's played out, so it's, there's not that dangerous edge to it. No. Yeah, there's nothing controversial about it anymore, you know. I don't think there's anything controversial about anything other than uh, if you say the wrong thing on the internet or, or tw- on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> then then you're then you're in for it. Yeah, that's exactly right. But um, so you're grunge. I, did you ever get into... And I just I only asked this because I've just discovered on... Um, on Pandora, I, I hadn't heard. I so, I, someone mentioned the um, the Gin Blossoms' "Hey Jealousy." Oh yeah, yeah, that song, right? And I thought, oh, I love that song. I haven't heard it in ages. And I had Pandora on on the uh, in the house, so I I clicked through and I found the Gin Blossoms channel on Pandora. Oh yeah, and I've had just now two straight days of playing just listening that to that. Oh man, I Great. I didn't realize I missed better than Ezra. <laughs> yeah. All those, uh, I think that might have been mid to late nineties bands when. Um, when you know when uh, sort of pop rock became sensitive, yes, like yeah, it, yeah, it equaled. The, it was sort of the same time Alanis Morissette and the the women in um, in music were getting very angsty and angry. Yeah, then there was this counter movement of guys being very sensitive. Yeah, that's the, I, I, yeah. No, I, I I was never. They were the enemy, you know. The, you enemy, t- the yeah. Savage Gardens of this world is this 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 sort of See, stuff no, no, that you're no, talking about. I'm not about. saying Savage Garden. I'm not going that far. You know, right. more still in the alternative scene. Like oh, I'm okay. thinking the soundtrack to Empire Records more than the uh, like the Lemonheads and the Lemonheads. Yeah, yeah people yeah. like that. Yeah, no, I was definitely into that. I mean, you know, the cardigan you, wearing sort of he's yeah, yeah, threatening guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, oh, I found out the other day that that great um, you know that great Lemonhead song I lied about being the outdoor type. You know, yes. That's not a Lemonhead song. What? It's a cover version. Like I heard the original. Next, you're going to tell me that they didn't do um, that. They didn't do uh, Mrs. Mrs. Robinson. Robinson as yeah. well. That's of course crazy. they didn't. <laughs> no, but I, I thought they at least. I yeah. I thought they the at shot. least had done that, you know. But yeah. then I found out that's a cover version as well. I'm like, who did who did that originally? Do you know, I, it, I, it, it's someone. I'm not massively obscure if you're into alt country. Yeah, but it's an alt country song. You know, like that was. There was a lot of bands around that time, you know, like, especially in Australia, like Custard and stuff like that, playing around with that alt country yes. vibe, you know, like that first, I'm, I'm confessed massive Custard fan. Yep. Um, that first uh, Wahoody Fandango, that first album that they did, man, you know, that was just so great. And and Jonathan Richman, like he was a sort of 70s, 80s, you know, kind of pre-punk guy from New York that played at CBGB's where the Ramones played and all that sort of stuff. He did a country album called Jonathan Goes Country. Oh, really? Yeah, and he just wow. got, he got obviously got some money together and he just did these kind of poppy, poppy punky kind of songs. Um, and he's actually the guy, if you've ever seen something about Mary, there's a guy, he'll be up in the tree sort of narrating yes. the story. That's Jonathan Richmond. Okay. He also pops up in that Woody Harrelson bowling movie, you know, the with the Quaker kid. There's a guy who's a... Oh, Kingpins? Kingpins, yeah. He pops... He's playing at the bowling alley in that because I, I somehow... That to me was always just a uh, poor man's Big Lebowski. Yes, it was a little bit, was <laughs> Um But yeah, and there's a lot of that stuff going on and, and they all sort of... I think they looked up to Jonathan Richmond. But yeah, Jonathan Richmond made this great album called Jonathan Goes Country and he went to Nashville and hired like all the best session players. So there's just, you know, meticulous lap steel and all those sort of great guitar sounds and all that sort of stuff. Just perfectly played country, but with his weird, quirky, alt country kind of ideas. Ween did a country album. Ween did a country. There you go. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. 12 golden country greats. That's right. Yeah, everyone was playing around with it. Because country at the time was just seen as this 
silly. It was kind of seen. It was it was a parody of itself by that stage. You know, the mm. the grand old Opry. You know, was these. It was kind of the the idol of its time, wasn't it? They were these weird, like just overly processed and made up girls that sang. You know, like post you know way past Dolly Parton. Like they were just these dressed up in weird country outfits. You know, they weren't necessarily even from the country. I no, don't it was more kitsch. Kitsch yeah. outfits rather than actual country mm. outfits. It was uh, like they'd bought a, a, a Calamity Jane costume. Yeah. It was kind of like a parody of itself, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, I've got a mate who uh, I used to, and he'll probably be a guest on the podcast at some stage, who I used to do a, uh, a 90s a community radio show called The 90s Show. Right. Uh, with, was this in the 90s? Or? No, this was, this was uh, oh, this would have been circa... 2001. 2001. Okay, just just enough time to be retrospective. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like we were on the cutting edge of uh, yeah. 90s nostalgia. But um, we, Rob, uh, Hunt, Rob, you, Rob Hunter would. Uh, oh, uh, mate. was Rob, Rob Hunter's been doing stuff about the nineties or the eighties? I think he's been. I think it's the nineties, Rob Hunter. Yeah, I've I really enjoyed reading all those things he's written. But it's um, it's one of those things where and Rob's probably the right age, perfect age for the nineties too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, but that's um, we were we were. I think the first we used to do a segment we'd review 90s films okay um, tell people to get them on DVD and, nice uh, yeah it was it was uh, it was good fun we'd, we'd review a 90s album every week okay but uh, John my mate who I did uh, I hosted it with um, is a uh, massive to this day still massively into old country right okay um, he introduced me to the Cocteau Sisters yes um, he's a uh, he was um, uh, what's his name bloody Bonnie Prince Billy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who's the same person as about... He's used um, Palace Music, Palace Brothers. Yeah, okay. Um, it's just the same guy who... For, for a series... And this is, sums up that 90s... That... What we're talking... That old country um, sensibility. He changed the name of his band every new album. Yeah, awesome. So that it was almost impossible to work out who he was. But, I love stuff like that. Yeah. Although the, the Mighty Boosh... Well, when before season three of the Mighty Boosh came out, they were talking about calling season three season four, and never never having a season three, oh, just genius. to frustrate the fuck out of future generations trying to find es- season three. Especially, <laughs> especially for the stoner fan. Yeah, that's like you imagine some kid in twenty years time going, "Oh man, I got my dad's Mighty Boosh DVDs. I can't find season three anywhere." Man, season three. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah, that they they just stopped. They they had to take it off the street. The government didn't want people to have it. <laughs> it would start all these great, great oh, they'd be kind awesome of myths, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The BBC wouldn't release it. <laughs> they burned the tapes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I love that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, so you were you were more uh, you weren't alt country. Did you ever no. go alt country? No, no. You no. have you have one pair of shoes I've seen you wear with tassels on them. Yeah, that's that's more Navajo in, inspired, oh, I think. You know, Navajo the, inspired. Yeah, the 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 people that all the the cowboys were mean to. Um, yeah, I don't know why we're talking about that, but no, I just know. I just remember. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just remember seeing you with shoes with tassels on. Yeah, they're not spurs though. No, they're yeah. not spurs. They are they actually, yeah, in in that sense, they're. Uh, I would have thought they're more the, the cowgirl than cowboy. But yeah, yeah, okay. There you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah I, I knew you were yeah, going to work out a way to have a stab at my shoes somehow. Got the insult in. <laughs> uh, we can move on. 
So your music's still um, obviously a big part of your life. You enjoy, yeah. still enjoy music. Yeah, I'm more an, an avid fan these days. I mean, I still pick, a, the... pick up a guitar every now and then. You know, we've been do, starting doing some music stuff for our show. Um, yeah, that for, was good for fun. For Three Blokes, which has been really good fun. And that's actually kind of, yeah, it's kind of plugged me back in a little bit, you know, because I I wasn't bitter um, after, you know, all the music that I'd done, but I definitely, I'd got to a point where I was a little sick of it, you know, because I've been yeah. doing it for so long and, and you do go to what end, you know, why am I doing this? I, I, and, I, and I kind of stopped enjoying it, you know, um, and we, you know, through the 90s, it was a pretty tough time. Like that was, you know, when all the... the Clinton scandal, yeah. <laughs> No, but it was a tough time because that was when all the pubs were shutting down their band rooms and filling the pubs full of pokies. And yeah, poker machines, you know, when I first started playing in bands in the early 90s, there weren't any poker machines in pubs. There were there were things called card machines, yeah, which probably no one much younger than me would remember because it was only, they were only around when I was like 18 or 19, I think. No, it was pretty much in the clubs, like just in right. like your bowling clubs and that sort of stuff. Yeah, they, they were allowed to have these one type of gambling machine, which was called a card machine. And it was kind of like blackjack or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't like a poker machine. Um, and then, yeah, but then they, they changed the laws so they could have poker machines in pubs. And even like the Annandale, like they shut that band room down and filled that room full of poker machines at one point. Um, it was really sad. And... Yeah, but so we were always having to kind of make our own gigs and, you know, like just be really kind of clever about how we could manage to get on a stage and play, do what we did, you know. It, was, um, it wasn't easy to get gigs. Well, especially then, like, like once, the, once the gigs start to go away, then, the, um, then basically you're looking at a stage where two, the, the pubs start looking at cover bands. And as the 90s purist that you are, cover band was never going to happen for you. No, definitely not. But you are, you're a you're car guy, music guy. Mm. Uh, Sunday afternoon drive. One, what car are you in? Your favourite car that you've got. And two, what is the music playlist? What are we listening to? Well, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a um, 77 Trans Am, which is about as rock and roll as it gets. Um Playlist in that vehicle on a Sunday afternoon um, is very. It, the, the variable is whether or not my fiance is in the car. Okay, um, so she's an opera singer, so I'm guessing. Uh... No, it's not down. She's actually got a very diverse music taste, and we actually don't listen to classical music very often. Or she never listens, sits down and listens to opera at home or anything like that. Um, as a, a you know a, uh, something to do for entertainment, she you know she just listen to whatever we listen to, but. I do because the, the the Trans Am has T tops like window like basically windows in the roof that pop out. So beautiful. Um, it's a convertible. Um, yeah. So whatever tunes are being played, everybody can hear. Um, so it's down to what I'm playing. Is that going to embarrass her or not? NWA, it's, fuck the police as you uh, pull up at the lights. A little bit of that, you know. I've got I've got to see because it's got a, it's it's an older car, so it's got a CD player in it. Um, I love that that's now we're going, it's an older car, so it's got a CD player. Well, it never originally had a CD player, obviously, but yeah, but uh, sorry, when I put the stereo system in, it was, you know, pre, Kenwood? pre-Bluetooth, uh, not Kenwood, no, but um, yeah, and, and uh, so I've got this CD because the, the, the stereo that I've got reads MP3s oh, yes, from a CD, have. so it, I've got a whole like CD stacked with heaps of tunes and so it's just got one cd in it 
Um, and it's a lot of Motley Crue. Yep. You know, this that kind of vibe, a lot of 80s hair metal, that kind of thing. Because I still play from time to time in a band called Big Fallica, which is... Uh, a great name for a band. <laughs> as my alter ego, Spurt Reynolds. Spurt uh, Reynolds. Yeah, everyone in, the, <laughs> everyone in the band has to have a name. So there's like Cherry Poppins and... Ruprecht Smith and yeah, or they, everyone has their own sort of stage name, but yeah. Tell, and we, me, tell me as Spurt Reynolds, you wear like a milk moustache for the whole gig. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's a little too illustrative, I think. Uh, no, I do have a great, almost Merv Hughes-esque. You're, you're, you're probably quite surprised I know who Merv Hughes is. Yeah, that's good for you. <laughs> yeah. oh, you, you don't realise he's a, he's a former Australian fast bowler, you just see him as a moustache enthusiast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I still know who he is. Come on. Um, yeah. And yeah, we just basically, that was the first cover band I've ever played in. We, we just play 80s hair metal and dress, you know, old men bouncing around in spandex. It's it's quite Having a whole lot of fun. It's quite horrifying. But yeah, there's three guitarists on stage at any one point in time. Only two any, of any playing of, lead? Or any of, any of whom are much better than me. So I can literally just turn the sound down on my guitar if I really want to and it, no one will notice. You just know. enjoy being just on stage. Just enjoy being on stage. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right, Scott, that's going to bring us to our time, but we will get you back. Um, I want to hear more about the Mambo Doc when it comes out. Yeah, cool. So uh, we'll uh, we'll get you back. Obviously, we've got you and I can talk for hours and hours and hours, no matter what. So uh, yeah. we'll have you back another time. But thank you very much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's um, it's great, and it's great to see a new studio. It's, it's amazing. Thanks very much. <laughs>